into Psalm 141 today. We're getting close to wrapping this series up. Uh, there are some very encouraging things said here at the end of this, and uh, last time I spoke, we covered some of that in chapter 139 and 40. Uh, it changes a bit in 141 because even though we saw in that sermon that God is very, very intimately involved in our lives and, and knows us very well. Uh, and if we're here in His church, He has handpicked us to be here. Uh, he knows us very, very well and knows of all our troubles, our trials, our difficulties, our joys, our hopes, and our dreams. Uh, he ponders our every thought. So he is very, very involved with each and every one of us. But even though we are on the cusp, I believe, of things turning around, and some of the things we've been talking about now since really 1996 are very much on the horizon, and I think will start coming to pass pretty soon. And even what we're doing for the feast and where we're doing it, I think, has a great deal of bearing on that. But we still live in a very dangerous world, a world that is going to turn on us pretty soon. Even as God turns back to us, the world will then turn on us. Most of the trouble that we have felt to this time has either been self-inflicted or God allowing trials and troubles and even Satan to bring difficulties upon us for our growth, for uh, helping turn us to Him. He is very intimately involved in allowing and even perhaps causing some of those things or giving Satan license to do some of them. So we've been through a lot. But he says, before the flesh fails before him, and I think we're close to that, uh, he's going to turn it around. We've been basically free from problems from the world, haven't we? It's mostly been our own doing, or Satan doing it to us. Uh, but now, before long, things are going to become obvious, and the world will definitely turn on us. Thankfully, however, at the time the world does that, God will turn to us. And he says he will take care of us as the apple of his eye, and if anyone lifts a hand against us, he will be there to take care of us. So... What do we have to fear, really? If God be for us, who can be against us? And this is the scenario that I'm looking forward to, is when God turns his face and begins to truly bless, then what the world and Satan do is inconsequential because God will protect. He will hedge us about and he will put a wall of fire, whatever that physically means, but certainly it means his protection about us. So, with that in mind, let's go into 141, which shows that even though we recognize God is very concerned with us, there are still some troubles ahead for us. And this is a very prophetic message, and Psalm 150 winds up uh, with a very powerful prophecy uh, and in fact, it does from here on through, as it has all along. Uh, these aren't just nice poems or songs, but this is a very prophetic book. It says, Eternal, I cry to you, 
Make haste to me. I give ear to my voice when I cry to you. I've quoted several times that passage in Isaiah where it says not to give God any rest until he turn and begin to do what David is praying for right here. To stay after him. To be persistent. To look to him. To cry out to him. To pray to him for the relief that we need in so many, many different ways. Let my prayer be set forth before you as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. In other words, turn your face, your attention, uh, hear our prayers as a, as a nice incense to you. We just sang some hymns before I came up, and those are an incense that goes up to God. Those get God's attention. He loves to hear His people sing His words. And He probably takes more delight in song service than we do. We can begin to take it for granted. But God does not. That's why He wants us to sing out and make a joyful noise before Him, is because He takes great delight in hearing His people sing the words of Almighty God. And that's one reason I so very much appreciate what Dwight Armstrong did in setting the Psalms themselves <clears throat> to music. Uh, not just something that somebody thought up poetically, which can be nice, and it can be kind of Bible-based, <clears throat> but these are the very words of God that we sing. And to me, that is exciting. And I hope we think about that as we sing them, and don't just mindlessly follow it on the page, but realize what those psalms are singing are saying when we do sing them and be aware of the message that is there every time we sing before God so the prayer is for our, our prayers to go up as incense and an evening sacrifice was instituted with animal sacrifices back then and God paid attention to those but he wasn't really happy with the blood of bulls and goats. He wanted the hearts of his people. So he says, when I lift my hands to pray, make it be as the evening sacrifice before God. Something important that was going on. Then he says, set a watch, verse 3, O Eternal, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Prayer we all pray, I'm sure because it is with our lips that we so easily sin, <clears throat> so easily make mistakes, so easily hurt feelings. We all do it. So that should be a fairly regular prayer, uh, that we be able to contain our words and think before we speak, think properly before we speak. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. He called us out from the world, and yet we have to pray that God not let us get involved in iniquity and to do the same things that the wicked around us are doing, because it's so easy to do, and it's so easily to be influenced by them if we're around them. And some of us have to work with people in the world, and there can be a very negative influence there, and, and we can be tempted to get into things that we should not get into. And... Our own human nature is bad enough. So, when he says, come out from her, then we have to pray that God help us in our attitudes to be 
different than what they are. And not to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. Now that could be desserts in terms of food. It could be their delightful things that are so easy to be involved in. Things they take delight in, but things that perhaps are illegal uh, in one form or another for us. We're up against it, you know. We're at a time when God is about to unleash some horrible things on the earth, and it'll, about two chapters, three chapters from now, it, it mentions that. And we don't want to be caught up, as Revelation 18 says, in the iniquities and in the ways of the world and partake of the horrible things that are coming down on them. We're going through enough, aren't we? We have emotional, spiritual issues that we have to deal with. We're going through trials, troubles, and tribulations, and illnesses, and sicknesses, and deaths, and all kinds of things we're having to deal with now. So the plea is, don't let me be involved with the world and then go through, in addition to that, what they are also about to go through. Aren't we going through enough without also having to go through that? And yet 90% of God's church is going to go into the tribulation according to the Scriptures. I don't want to go there. And I don't want anyone here to have to go there and go through that. You think what we're going through now is difficult. Well, it is. Emotionally and spiritually, what we face now in the spiritual battle is difficult. But then when we're threatened with plague and famine and sword and all those things that are about to come to the earth, that's even scarier. And that's why this prayer is where it is in the Psalms. Just as these things are about to start occurring, it's time for us to pray as David prayed, okay? That we might be able to escape this that is coming. Verse 5, Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. We hear hard things, we hear difficult things when we read God's Word, when we hear sermons. But if the righteousness of the Word of God smites us, that's a good thing compared to Him having to smite us with famine, pestilence, disease, and death. It's a kind thing that we be guided, corrected, helped, led to the right attitudes, the right purposes, the right direction so that we might escape what is coming. That is a kindness, at least in comparison to what is about to come. It's hard, it's difficult to accept guidance and correction, and when we get our toes stepped on, we don't like it. But it's necessary for our growth. And God says He chastens every son whom He loves. So you can't pick this book up and read it without being corrected and guided, can you? I I can't, never have been able to, pick this book up and open it anywhere at random and not have something there that fit me. It just all does, except the good stuff. No, even some of that fits. You know, we're a mixture. We're trying to do good, and even the good can fit us. But I can't open it that I don't see something there that tells me something I need to fix. Because that's 
just the way we humans are. So, let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. You know, uh, sometimes it hurts, but it won't break our head. It won't kill us. It won't fracture us. <clears throat> For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. We have our calamities. He had his calamities. And he said, let them smite me, let them correct me and guide me, uh, and I will also pray for them and their troubles, their calamities, their difficulties, their problems, their sicknesses, and whatever it might be. So it's a two-way street. We have to love one another, we have to help one another, and pray for one another in all of our calamities. And if one hurt, we should all hurt. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Uh, he's, he's flashing back now to those wicked ones up above. He's saying, let the righteous correct me and guide me. But when the judges on this earth are overthrown in stony places, that means they have a very hard landing. Rocks are hard. Then they'll hear our words. You know, nobody wants to listen right now to God. They don't want to listen to, they don't want to hear God's word much at all. But then they'll know that the truth was there when these things happen. They'll hear my words, for they are sweet. God's words are sweet. Now, there may be difficulties in the meantime, but the result will always be sweet. It's like cooking dinner. It may be work. There may be sweat and difficulty involved sometimes, but then when dinner's ready, that's pretty sweet. And then you can sit down and eat, and it's good. He says, Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cuts and cleaves wood upon the earth. Isn't that about where we are? He says, It's just like you've got a big pile of wood, and you've got an axe, and you're splitting the wood, and the pieces are flying every direction, and it's like... We're getting old, we're getting sick, we're having all kinds of difficulties and problems and trials and tests, and it's like our bones are just gathered around the grave ready to get thrown in. Pretty good analogy there. But my eyes, I may be having trouble, my bones may be scattered around the grave, I might be near death, I may be even spiritually to the point that Oh, sometimes want to give up. People do give up. That's not just a, an idle thought. A lot of people have given up. So many have thrown their arms up and said, I'm done with it. Can't handle it anymore. We can't go there. We can't think that way. Remember the parable? Some on stony ground, some in thorns, some in good ground. We have to grow. So, even though we have troubles and it's like we're scattered around the grave, my eyes are to you, O God the Eternal. In you is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. So ultimately, we have to trust God. He is the only one that can save us out of it. Now, he is going to save not individuals here and there on their own, or as was taught in Worldwide for a while by a very leading minister, 
God can just put a plastic bubble on us wherever we are. So we don't need a place of safety. We don't need to be gathered together. Uh, We can be individuals. No, we're a body. And God wants the body all gathered together. And all the parts working and functioning properly within the body so that everything works in harmony and in unity and in closeness and in love. Those are goals for us. And he puts us together to accomplish just that. We have trouble with it, don't we? We get our feelings hurt. We hurt somebody else's feelings. We have all kinds of difficulties that arise just being human. It's natural. It's normal. It's human. But we have to find a way to resolve those difficulties and to dwell together in peace because that's what he says he's going to do. In this place, when he gathers his remnant together, I will give peace. I look forward to that. When that will happen and the whole remnant of the church will live together in peace. So, yes, we trust in God. But God works through men. He works through people. And He is building His body out of people. And the arm and the leg and the foot and the toenail and the head and the ear and the mouth and all the different parts have to work together to make the body function properly. Otherwise, we become dysfunctional. And to one degree or another, we are. So we look to God and for His love and for His mercy, for His help, so that we can function together as we should. Because we have to be an example to the world of how a society should work. That is one of the primary reasons he is calling the remnant together at the end time. is to be a city set on a hill as a light to the world. This is the way life should be. So we have a very high, lofty goal and purpose. And God has said, I'm going to take the weak and the base and to my glory I'm going to show them for they shall overcome. They will turn to me. They will trust me. They will learn together to live together in peace and harmony in a world gone mad with war and hate and nastiness. And we will be a light to the world. Now you have been called each and every one in this room, handpicked by God, to be part of that. What an honor and what a glory to God that is going to be. So we have our work cut out for us. And we need to look to God for the strength, the courage, the faith, the love, and the help we need to do what He wants done. And we don't want to be left destitute or spiritually bankrupt. We want to be full of the reward of God and His Spirit. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the evil traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I I am able to escape. So it's not wrong to look at the world and say, God, I know it has to come Let it go ahead and happen, but please account me worthy to escape all these things that are about to come. It's not selfish to pray that, 
they will have their chance later in the millennium if they live through it or in the great white throne judgment. Our chance is now. So he does say there in Matthew 24, pray that you individually be counted worthy to escape all these things that are about to come. And that's what David is doing here. Writing prophecy about Matthew 24, which is about today. 142. I cried to the Eternal with my voice. With my voice to the Eternal did I make my supplication. He continues kind of the same thought that we got in 141. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. It's not wrong to lay out our difficulties, our problems before God. He is compassionate. He's loving. He's merciful. He's kind. He wants us to be in his kingdom. So he is not going to use our prayers, our pleas for forgiveness against us. He is there as the absolute epitome of love and concern and compassion. And he is not going to laugh at or scorn us when we lay our troubles before him. And I'm talking about sincerely saying, God, I have a problem with this, 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 and this. Uh, You know, how do I handle that? I'm discouraged. I'm pulled under. I'm having difficulty. I'm depressed. Whatever your emotion might be. Whatever your trouble might be. You can go to him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, some of the words I just used, then you knew my path. You knew where I was headed. You knew the trouble I was in and where I'd gotten myself. And You know how to extricate me. You know how to fix this. I leave it in your hands. You knew my path. We are to pray that he guides and directs our steps to keep us on the path. Because as humans, we will stray from the path so very easily. Boom. We can get off track so fast, so far, so easily, it's unbelievable. So we pray this prayer. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path and the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me. So not only the trouble I get myself in, but others will also lay snares and traps and difficulties for us and cause us problems. Sometimes on purpose. Where is the love in that? I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Sometimes we look around and think, man, I don't guess I have a friend in the world. What do I do? We can feel very alone sometimes, very frustrated. We can become depressed. We can have all kinds of mental and emotional difficulties because we feel like no one cares. Well, there's a time to truly turn to God. To get His help, His strength. Because that's where really it comes from. Now, hopefully we can encourage and strengthen one another. But David is talking from the depths of his heart here from his inner feelings of some of the difficulties, because look at what he faced. Members of his own family trying to kill him, conspiring to take over uh, the kingship of Israel, 
He had a lot of enemies in the nation, as well as out in the nations around him, who truly wanted to see David dead. That was their hope and sometimes their goal in life was to see him dead. So when he writes this, it's probably at greater depth than even we might feel it because we don't have this in quite the same way yet. Our problems seem big to us. Yes, they do. And they are. Sometimes almost insurmountable, it seems. So we turn to God the way that David is turning here. When no man cared for my soul, I cried to you, O Eternal. I said, You are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. That is truly where we go for help. He is the only one that can really, truly answer it. I think Paul put it in Philippians that he, let's see, how does he put that? I think it's in the living. Uh, well, one place is, put all your cares on him, for he cares for you. But there's another one I was thinking of, and it won't quite come. I might think of it in a minute. But uh, God is always there. Oh, he, oh, let's see, it's, it's beginning to come. He is the answer for our deepest longings. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's the essential thought in the scripture I'm thinking of. I think it's in Philippians in the living. He is the answer to our deepest longings. Now, we can have human longings for children, for mates, for long life, for health. We can have all kinds of longings in this life. But really, when you get down to it, eternal life in the kingdom of God is the greatest and the deepest and the most important longing we have. To human beings, to live is the deepest emotion. We'll do, more, we'll do anything almost to live, it seems. Well, eternal life is offered. We can live forevermore. And only God can answer that. So the deepest longings we have, He can attend to. He is our portion. And then the plea is here. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. And things can add up. Difficulties can come. They can get bigger than we are. And he was feeling that. Bring my soul out of prison. Sometimes it isn't a physical prison with iron bars. It can be emotional prison. It can be spiritual prison. It can be the prison of our own faults and sins that are stronger than we are. And we have trouble breaking the bars on those things. So turn to God. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall compass me about, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Now there's one of the answers to the problem is that if we do turn to God and we love each other as he says we must do, that we will be compassed about or on all points of the compass, that is, surrounded by the righteous. Because God will deal bountifully with us. Now let's understand that. There are people scattered around this world who are called in the worldwide church of God over the last 20, 30, 50, 60 years. Many of them, right now, are out there all by themselves. They're trying to obey God. 
They're trying to be faithful. They're working at it. And yet, they don't have anybody of like mind. They don't have people who understand. So much of the church is looking at it as a social club or, uh, or whatever. But the true spiritual needs and the understanding is not around them. So they're lonely. They're frustrated. They don't know what to do. But God will let them out of prison soon. He is going to do some things that are going to cause a faithful remnant to come together in one place to finish his work. And we are in the area of that place. That is set in stone. We know where it is. And God has given us opportunity to set the stage and prepare so that they can come. What a privilege that will be, brethren. What a privilege to take people in and to help them and to put our arms about them and to encourage them and strengthen them and show them knowledge of things that right now they have a knowledge of truth, basically, but they don't know the things that we know right here. They don't have a clue. But God is going to do some things that will get their attention. And the ones that have the right kind of heart and mind and attitude are going to be stirred to come. That is very clear. So, they will be compassed about on every side with those who can encourage and who are righteous, and they will feel blessed, bountiful when this happens. What a, pri- what a privilege and an honor to be here and to have the opportunity to help them when they come. If we can help each other and love each other in the meantime, that helps prepare us to do that for them. Let's go into 143 then. Hear my prayer, O Eternal. Give ear to my supplications. Same way you open the last two chapters. He, he keeps pleading for God to hear, doesn't he? And God tells us, and other prophecies do the same thing, to keep pleading to God to hear us, to answer, to turn his face, to look upon us, to smile upon us, and to see us as the apple of his eyes, he says he will do there in Zechariah 2. Hear my prayer, O Eternal, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness. This one is in our hymn book. And enter not into judgment with your servant, for in your sight shall no living man be justified. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and none of us can stand and say, I'm justified, God. You have to pick me. No. We're all the same. It only takes one sin to kill us, right? Any sin that is unforgiven is a death penalty. So it doesn't matter whether you've sinned a billion times or once. It takes the blood of Christ to cover it. And thankfully, whether it's once or a billion, His blood is big enough to cover it all. Because it is big enough to cover billions of people and multiple billions of sins. That's how great His death was and still is for us. 
No, we cannot be justified except through the blood of Christ and through his life today. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life down to the ground. He has made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. He's comparing his life and saying, you know, all the things I've been through, Father, it's like I've just been dead for years and years and years. My, my heart hurts, my feelings, my attitudes. I have difficulty dealing with life and all the things that he faced, and we do too. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. Sometimes we just feel that way. We feel discouraged. We feel down. We feel like there's no hope. At times we might feel like giving up. It isn't a new emotion. It is an emotion that has been shared by every human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. So we'll have those times. And right now, when things are getting the darkest on earth before this is turned loose, and as they're darkest for us just before the dawn, when God turns it around, we can feel despair. We can lose focus. We can feel depressed and discouraged. This is written here for a reason. The reason being what you and I are going through right now. It's written to give us uh, an insight. It's written to show compassion to us, to say that God understands our plight and our difficulties the same way he understood David's. So it's not like he doesn't see the things that we're having to deal with. He does. And he had David write down his darkest feelings and thoughts here to give us encouragement. Not to make us even more discouraged, but to realize that anything we're going through has been suffered by others. David lost a son directly because of his sin. He was not able to build a temple, which would have been one of the greatest joys of his heart, because he was such a bloody man and killed so many people in war and loved it. So he had some problems in his relationship with God that were not easy, along with his relationship with man. It was very difficult for him. So we're not facing anything that he didn't face. And sometimes we feel down and discouraged. Well, let's take encouragement in that. And if there is an answer to it, let's go on. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the works of your hands. Now, isn't that what Romans 1.20 tells us? That we see God and the creation around us? That when we get discouraged and down, we need to take time to go out and look at the stars. We need to take time to study a tree and how it grows. We need to enjoy a flower. We need to think about the sands of the sea and how they sparkle and twinkle in the sun as the tide recedes from them. And all the seashells that God has put on the shore. We need to look at the creation around us and be encouraged that the God who made this made us, and He knows us. 
when mankind makes us feel down and discouraged, and even our own sins and faults do. We meditate on the works of old. The things that God has done for people in the past, if you will, whether it be delivering Noah or delivering all Israel through the Red Sea or causing the walls of Jericho to fall down or causing Lazarus to be raised from the dead and on and on and on. The Bible is replete with hundreds and hundreds of examples of the wonderful works of God. But even in sickness and death and the most unimaginable of human mental and emotional tortures we go through, God knows it all. And He has created us fearfully and wonderfully. Stop and think about what He's done. Think about the things around you. I do that sometimes when I feel like, well, I don't want to sit on a throne. I'm an active person. I like to go here and do this and that and the other thing. I don't want to just sit on a throne for a thousand years. How boring would that be? But then if I, if I get thinking that way, and then I, I'll go out and sit in the yard and look at the grass and the trees and the stars or the flowers, if I can see them in the daytime, and I think about the things God has done and the things that I have enjoyed in life. I love nature. I love the mountains. I love the seashore. A lot of things that God has made are what turned my crank. I remember going into Johannesburg with Frank Nelty one time, and he wanted to take us downtown and show us the old office buildings of Worldwide and some of those things and, and, and go about and see Johannesburg. And I was totally unimpressed. My thought was, why don't we go to a game park outside town somewhere? Why can't we see the things that God has made? I've seen enough cities. God hates cities. I hate cities. When I land in an airplane in place and find a place where I can enjoy what God has made, not what man has made a mess of. That's the way he wants us to think. It's the way he wants us to enjoy and to see him. I meditate on all your works. I muse, I think about, I ponder the works of your hand. Ever watch a hummingbird work flowers or even a feeder? Or a honeybee work the flowers? What an incredible thing. I watch a hummingbird and it seems like his wings would just fly off. They go, what, a billion beats a second it seems. And he can just sit there with his wings going a thousand miles an hour and not even move and then he starts. How can he do that? How can God make something that small work that fast and not fly apart? That's way beyond me, way beyond any of us, to sit and muse on and think about the wonderful little intricate things that God has made. And you get a better picture of Him and how He thinks. And I think, you know, if you can make a tree and you can make a hummingbird, I think I would like to be around you. Maybe it won't be as boring as sitting on a throne. Maybe there'll be some excitement there and some creativity and all the things that can be good that God does. When we're in despair, when we're depressed, think about what God has done. You'll be encouraged. 
I stretch forth my hands to you. We remember the days of old. We think about the things he's made. And then it makes us want to reach up and talk to him. Since we have the privilege of talking to the God of creation. Wow, what a privilege. We take it for granted. You know, nobody could talk to the Father until Christ died and the veil of the temple was ripped in half. They had no access to the Father at all. We have it instantly. Father in heaven and you're there. Bam. Don't take that for granted. What a privilege it is. Thousands of years people live without being able to do that. And most people today cannot do that because they don't know the Father in heaven. They don't know who he is or what he is or how he thinks. And they don't know much about his son either, even though they claim to worship him. What a privilege we have. I stretch forth my hands to you, my soul thirsts after you as a thirsty land, like the drought in the Midwest. Hear this. Hear me speedily, O Eternal. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like to them that go down into the pit. We are on the cusp of all these things being unleashed on the world. We see it coming. If we're watching alternate news, maybe not mainstream, but even in the mainstream media, they're beginning to show that there are problems. Serious problems. And we know that. So we want God to hear us speedily. We don't want to give up. We don't want to quit. I don't want to go down into the pit with them. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. We need God to direct our steps. We are in a very, very dangerous time. We need to be close to Him. We need to be studying His Word and reminding ourselves and looking into that Word to see what it tells us to do. Because this Bible is written primarily for you and me in this end-time generation to the church. And within its pages, we find the answers to the difficulties that are facing the church and the world. And I submit to you that most of the church still does not have a clue of what is going on. I saw a glimmer in a United newspaper, just I think the last one they wrote or the one before, where somebody actually wrote an article that says, Do you suppose that the troubles that we're facing in the church could possibly be self-inflicted? Since it fell apart in the 80s and 90s, this is 2012, end of, almost. That's nearly a quarter of a century since the church started falling apart. And just now, some of them are beginning to say, do you think this might have been brought on because of us? You've known that now for a long, long time. And they're just some of them, I mean very few of them, beginning to wake up to the idea of this could have been my fault, our fault. 
How long have we known that? I've known it since at least 96 and started preaching it very loudly in January, February of that year. And you heard it somewhere along 2000. Do you realize how far ahead? It's not me. It's God opened the understanding of this book to what is happening to the church and the world And most of the church doesn't get it, even yet. And we didn't get it because we're righteous or wonderful. We got it because God said, I need some peons to go out and prepare a place. And to learn to live together in peace and love and harmony. And be a place that people would want to come. That is a challenge before us. Hear me speedily. I don't want to go down to the pit with them. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Early. Early, that means. Not late in the day or at midnight, but hear me early. Using a day as the analogy. For in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way where I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. That's how I got into that dissertation. He has showed us how to walk. And even yet, we don't have all the answers, do we? Even yet, we need to stick our heads in this book and get the answers from God and how to deal with everything that we have been called upon to deal with. Deliver me, O Eternal, from my enemies. I flee to you to hide me. And he's promised that he will do so. If we will... Pray and be accounted worthy. He will hide us from everything that's coming. Teach me to do your will. So obedience to him and following his will is a part of him being willing to hide us. In other words, again, accounted worthy because we do his will. We may not do it perfectly. That's why we have, we will not be per se, worthy, technically. It is that he forgives and accounts us as worthy. Because none of us can ever achieve on our own worthiness before God. We have too many faults. We make too many mistakes. But he can forgive them if our attitudes are right and we're overcoming and growing. And he can account us worthy whether we are or not. Isn't that beautiful? What a wonderful thing that we can say to God, forgive me, Father, please. And he's willing. Wow. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. That's a whole new world in this world, of being upright. To walk tall, to stand up, to be upright in a world that is stooped and bent over under sin. And he is not only that, but he is, in the duality of it, leading us to a place that will be the center of righteousness throughout the universe forevermore. 
to the original Jerusalem, to the promised land. He is going to bring all his people who are faithful together to set an example for the world from the Mount of Jerusalem and from Zion. The land of uprightness. There will come a time when no one will be allowed in that land unless they are upright. When the city of God comes down at the beginning of the millennium, no one who is a sinner, filthy, unrighteous, will be allowed in. It will be the land of the upright. Quicken me, O Eternal, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Not necessarily for us, for his righteousness' sake. He is going to make the world a righteous place. And if he can bring us out of ourselves and out of this world, then we can be an example to others and bring them out of trouble too. And of your mercy cut off my enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Now ultimately he's going to cut Satan off and imprison him and all the demons. And those who are wicked are going to be destroyed. And we will be surrounded by God, His holy angels, the bride of Christ, only the righteous forevermore. And that's His plea, that's His prayer right here, that God allow that to happen. Well, let's stop there then for today.